As Mary said, our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 51. Uh, But before I read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended, they started to return. But the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety. He said to them, Why are you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So last week I was so fortunate to be able to spend some time with my family for Christmas. We had a a few folks together at my folks' house in South Carolina, but we also, through the power of Zoom, were able to to see some other folks all across the country. I was sitting in a a chair, and and right sitting in my lap was my three-year-old niece, and we were Zooming with people across the country. My 96-year-old grandmother, who is in Georgia, and another cousin who is out in Oregon, and another aunt who is in Georgia, and just seeing all of those pictures up on the screen together almost, almost felt like we were all there together. But as we were sitting there talking and chatting on Zoom and and having a good time, I noticed that my little three-year-old niece who was sitting there with me started to stick her tongue out at the camera. I started to think, well, she's three three years old, she must be getting bored with this. But then I realized she was actually looking at her own picture on the screen. She wasn't sticking her tongue out at my grandmother or sticking her tongue out at me. She was looking at herself and examining how she looked on the screen and looking into her own eyes and examining her own hair, very curious as to what she looked like. And I have to say that in my experience, she's not alone. All throughout this past year, as we were doing Zoom meetings and online meetings, I have to tell you that I often take a look at myself, relatively presentable in all of those meetings. I'll even look at the things going on behind me to make sure the house looks relatively clean for those people who might see me. Being in a self-obsessed world as we are, we often worry more about how other people see us rather than trying to work on how we see other people through empathy and compassion and sympathy. But that's just the world that we live in. We're so self-obsessed that we often will look for ourselves out there in the world to, to compare ourselves to other people. And I'd say in general, it's a fairly unhealthy thing. 
But believe it or not, there are also times where it's healthy for us to look hard at ourselves, to, to look in the mirror, to learn more about ourselves and to learn more about who God has called us to be. And throughout our lives, God has given us many mirrors, many tools to do that. And one of those tools is Holy Scripture. Every time I prepare for a sermon, one of the things that I do, whether I'm conscious of it or not, is I try to look for myself in the story. I try to find one of the characters in the story that I relate to. And I even tell you a lot of times that when I'm preaching up here, I'm really just preaching to myself, trying to make myself a better person. And that's really what we do with the Scripture. Maybe you do that implicitly too when you're studying Scripture is you maybe don't realize it, but you're trying to relate to one of the characters in the story to to see what God is trying to teach them and therefore try to see what God is trying to teach you. Well, over the next couple of weeks, our sermon series for the year, we're going to do that explicitly. We're going to be looking at the characters in the story in the Gospel of Luke, all throughout several stories in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to try to see ourselves in the story to see how we can relate to the people in the story, maybe understand what they are feeling and understand what God is trying to teach them so that maybe we can understand what God is trying to teach us. And this morning, we're starting with one of the, the stories that's still in, traditionally read during Christmas tide, the story of Jesus staying behind at the temple. Now, as you may know, and as Mary already mentioned to you, there aren't many stories of Jesus' childhood when he was growing up. We, there's a big gulf, really, between the, the Christmas stories, the infancy stories that we hear about in Luke and Matthew, and then the adult stories of Jesus. In fact, there was a lot of curiosity in the early church about what Jesus was like as a child and as a teenager, and people started making up all sorts of stories about Jesus, about how these incredible abilities that he had, ways he was impressing his class classmates in school with special powers and things like that. But none of those stories were included in our Bible for various reasons, mostly because they were written later and most people think they were probably more fanciful than true. But for whatever reason, this one story was included in the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus when he was 12 years old. His family had left Nazareth and had gone down to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, which it says they did every single year. And they probably traveled in big caravans, maybe sometimes even the men and the women traveling at a little different pace than each other in in different groups. And so it might be logical that Mary and one group thought that Jesus was with Joseph and another group as they were traveling. They got to, to Jerusalem and celebrated the Passover, and as they were leaving and coming back, a day's, into the, a day's journey into the trip, they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. So Mary and Joseph go back to Jerusalem. They, they take that day and go back and then spend three days retracing their steps, trying to search for Jesus, and they find him, as we know, in the temple. But he's not there in the fetal position, crying and praying and asking God to send his parents to find him. Oh, no. Jesus seems quite content with where he is, learning from the teachers, even teaching some of the teachers. And when his parents ask him if they know all the anguish that he has brought them, he just says, you should have known I would have been here. It's very likely that I would be here, right here in my father's house. Now, right off the bat, I bet if you are a parent, you can relate to Mary and Joseph. Right off the bat, maybe you can even see yourself in Mary and Joseph. If you have children and you know how easy it is from time to time to turn your head and realize that when you turn your back, your child is no longer there. 
It happens to the best of us at some times. And I can only imagine Joseph looking at Mary and saying, I thought Jesus was with you. And Mary saying, well, I thought Jesus was with you. And then you feel that catch in your throat, that panic that goes through your body. Where is my child? What are we going to do? And, and then not only that panic, but that sense of guilt and shame that, oh, I should have been a better parent than this. And the fear of what might have happened or what could happen. And then all, all of a sudden, when you finally find Jesus, the, the relief that he's still okay. And maybe even a little bit of anger that he didn't do what you told him to do. As parents, we all know what it might be like to lose a child for a minute. In fact, I talked to my mom this past week, and after just a few minutes of talking, she mentioned three or four times where she lost track of me or my brother. So if you felt that way as a parent, you are in good company. Even Mary and Joseph felt that way at one time or another. But even if you don't have kids, I dare say all of us have had moments in our life where we have lost something that gives our lives meaning that gives our lives purpose, lost something that is so dear to us, so valuable to us, and we don't know if we will ever, ever get it back. Many of us have felt that way this past year. Some of us have lost loved ones. I know I have loved ones that I won't see again until I get to heaven. We've lost time with each other. We've lost time with our families. We've lost time in this sanctuary we love to worship. We've lost opportunities to, to those rites of passage that we miss so dearly. We've lost things that give our lives meaning and give our lives purpose, and we don't know how to get them back. And many of us, I have to tell you, in talking to members of our congregation through this difficult time, have even lost their faith wondered why God is letting us go through all this, wondering why they can't experience God the way they used to. And a lot of it is because they can't worship God and do the things that they have always used to to cultivate their faith and strengthen their faith. And so they're having to find new ways to find God in their lives. And it's difficult. Because none of us know this uncharted territory that we're in. It's like a detour in our lives. And yet the hope of this story is that Mary and Joseph came face to face with the living God, not at the Passover, but on a detour back to Jerusalem. I've lost something, or at least I thought I lost something that was important to my mom one time, and it terrified me. My mom, growing up, had a little change purse that was attached to her wallet. Maybe some of you all have that as well. And, and every now and then, when we would pass by a gumball machine or pass by some video game, I would ask my mom for a quarter, and I would get to go in that little change purse and try to dig out a quarter to see if she had one. But in that little change purse, she had a little metal cross that was really not much bigger than a quarter, and in fact, probably not worth much more than a quarter either. But every time I would dig around in that change purse, I would feel that little cross, and it would make me wonder why she had that. And of course, she told me one day it was just a little reminder that she carried around with her in a world that seemed to be forgetting about God. She could just stick her hand down in her wallet, and she could feel that, that little cross, and unbeknownst to her, not knowing it was there, just that little reminder that, yes, the cross is there, and that Jesus Christ is still here with us too. One day, I so I think we passed a gumball machine and I stuck my hand down in there and tried to find a quarter and I realized as I was feeling around that there, the cross wasn't there. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've, I've lost my mother's cross. Maybe it fell out of the, the, her pocketbook. Maybe it fell onto the floor and I searched frantically trying to find it. But finally I realized I couldn't find it. And so with a, my 
head hanging, I went to my mom and said, I'm sorry, but I lost your little metal cross. And she said, oh no, son, you didn't lose it. I gave it to somebody else the other day. Somebody else who needed a reminder that God was still with them. I gave it away. And maybe in doing so, in being generous and kind and caring, she realized that God was still with her too. See, during this difficult time, we have a lot of work to do to try to continue to maintain our faith and to find our faith once again. And we can't do it in many of the ways that we're used to. But in doing that work in new ways, we can still find that God is still right there with us. And maybe the best way is to do what my mom did, to find those people in the world who are losing their faith and remind them that Jesus Christ is still right there with them. Because in in doing that and helping other people find their faith, we might once again find our faith. We might once again come face to face with the living Christ, this little child who once again can change our lives and who makes our lives meaningful and purposeful every single day. There's nothing like being found by God. There's nothing like finding that faith and knowing that faith is surrounding you, strengthening you, helping you. But when we don't have it, well, our lives lose that meaning. And we wonder once again, where is God? Where is Jesus? Where can we find Him? And so during these difficult times, we have to take those little detours, find new ways to reach out, to claim our faith as our own, to not just let it be something that other people do for us, but something we work on, to to do the work that three-day search, that three-day journey that Mary and Joseph went on to find Jesus Christ in our lives once again. Because once we do, once we do, our lives have that meaning that we've been longing for. But I dare say there might be some of you out there who don't relate to Mary and Joseph at all. Maybe you haven't lost your faith, or, or maybe you've never had a child, like Julianne and I haven't had children yet. And so we wonder, is there anybody else that we can learn from in this Scripture? In this Scripture, like every single Scripture, God provides someone who is always meant to be a mirror to us, Jesus Christ Himself. Now, of course, none of us are Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ always was the perfect example, as our hymn said, that childhood pattern for who we are called to be. And there is something we can still learn from Jesus here in this passage, even little 12-year-old Jesus, who seems to be acting like any other 12-year-old. Because you see, in these moments, Jesus does something that has not yet happened in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus speaks, and he tells us who he is. Up until now in the Gospel of Luke, lots of other people have told us who Jesus Christ is. The angels have told the shepherds. The shepherds have told their friends. Anna and Simeon have have witnessed Jesus in the temple. Even Elizabeth has told Mary, and Mary has sung it out loud through that magnificent song that she sang. But now, here for the first time, when Jesus is 12 years old, He tells the world Himself who He is. He claims His faith and His identity for Himself. And that's something that each and every one of us have to do. 
Because most of our lives, like little children, we lean on our parents and lean on our forebears and lean on other people to help us understand who God is. But our faith only becomes real to us when we claim it for ourselves. I really truly believe that this passage is included in the Gospel of Luke because this is an important moment in the life of Jesus Christ. We call it in childhood development self-differentiation. When a child starts to realize that they are more than just their parents' children, but they are their own human being who have a voice and a meaning and a purpose. And Jesus Christ here at 12 years old realizes that He is more than just the son of Mary and Joseph. But He is truly a child of God. I had an experience like that in my own life, and it took a lot of courage from my parents to let me have that experience. I, was, I tell this story a lot of times to our confirmation students because they're going through a similar time where they're being asked to claim their faith for themselves. And I was telling them a story about how impressed I always was with my mother's faith. She had this incredible ability to just wear her faith on her sleeve, and she was truly a mentor for me in my faith. It was so powerful and palpable that I, I really believe my mom must have some sort of proof that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ died and that Jesus Christ rose again. More than just a faith, it must have been a proof like a a little piece of the cross or even a photograph of Jesus rising from the dead. And I remember asking her one time, Mom, how do you know this is true? And she, instead of showing me some proof, just said, well, son, we read it in the Bible. It's it's what we believe. And I said, yes, I know, but, but how do you know that it's true? And she said, well, we The disciples told us and it spread all the way around the world. And I said, yes, but how do you know it's true? And like a precocious child, she got a little mad at me. And her answer was probably more out of frustration than inspiration. But what she told me was, son, someday you will have to claim it for yourself. Someday you will have to decide for yourself. And that is the case for all of us. Someday we have to decide if our faith is going to be something that we keep in our pocket and pull out when it's convenient for us. Someday we have to decide if our faith is just going to be something we live on Sunday mornings. Someday we have to decide if our faith is just going to be something that we live when it's convenient for us or if our faith is going to be something that gives us our identity and our purpose and our meaning of life. We have to decide if our faith is going to be something that changes us and makes us who we are. That's what happens in this moment for a 12-year-old boy named Jesus. He looks at his mother and says, Mother, you should have known where I was. I'm in my father's house doing what my father wanted me to do. And we, as God's children, if we're claiming to be God's children, have to claim that for ourselves as well. Now don't get me wrong, we certainly as Presbyterians believe in that provenient grace that God is always searching for us, that God is always trying to find us like that shepherd looking for that lost sheep. But that grace does not erase our need for effort. We have to put in the effort too to let that faith change us, to let that faith change the way we relate to other people, not just across the pew, but to relate to other people in our workplaces and relate to other people in neighborhoods across the, the city and relate to other people who are friends and relate to other people who are enemies. Our faith changes us 
when our faith makes us who we are. After all, Jesus Christ at 12 years old, He still knew Mary and Joseph were His parents, but now He knew something more. He was the Son of God. And for us, we are called every single day to claim that for ourselves, that we are not just children of our parents or children of our church or children of our community, but even more so, we too are children of God. We are called this day and every day to act like it. To the glory of God. Amen.